It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello. I'm Jason. This is Witches Whiskey and Wit, which is about an hour or so of me drinking whiskey, talking to people who are generally witches and trying and usually failing to be witty. The problem with being witty is that there is whiskey involved. And while I often think that I am clever while drinking whiskey, that is not always the case. Thank you for being here and listening to the show whenever it is that you listen to the show. I know that we're found, we can be found at lots of spots now that host podcasts. And most of the listeners of the show are not live at all these days. So however you listen, we really, really do appreciate it. A little bit of news on my front. My sixth book. Oh, God, I'm patting myself on the back. Oh, it feels so good. Oh. Pat myself on the back. Oh, my God. My sixth book, Llewellyn's Little Book of Yule, has come back from the printers. It's supposed to be out in September, but I think I'll be selling copies by the end of July because we all need a little Christmas by the end of July, probably especially this year. Anyways, there's going to be some special giveaways with it just to make you want to buy this stupid book. It's not really stupid, but you know, it's not very seasonal right now. To make you want to buy this book in July or August. So stay tuned for that. So I'm really excited about it. It's a cute little book. It's really magical. It's not a witch book. Llewellyn's Little Book of Yule. It's a magical book. They say the word Christmas. If you go to Goodreads and read some of the early reviews, there are people who are very angry about that. Hopefully they'll get over it. I don't know. Talk about Jesus once. You know, he makes me a born-again Christian, according to some people. It's tough. It's tough. It's a cute little book, though. You could probably give it to your mom without any trouble. Anyways, I'm Jason, which is Whiskey and Wit. My guest tonight is named Brian Kane. Brian, uh, wow. You know, not everybody loves Brian. Probably going to get some shit for having him on my show. But you know what? I'm having him on my show. He's part of the world. I actually like Brian uh, quite a bit. We share a lot in common. We're both initiates into BTW, me, Gardnerian, Wicca, the first and best kind of Wicca, him, Alexandrian Wicca, the second and maybe second best kind of Wicca. I'm kidding, Brian. I hope that you know that. And you're also live on the air now with us. Hello, Jason. It's so good to hear your voice. Thank you for having me on your show. Um, you, you, you're probably right. I probably have haters, as I assume you probably do, too. Uh, I you do. can't really be in the magical world and put yourself in any kind of spotlight without having haters. Although mine's kind of a unique story because I sort of inherited a few. So I think at this point in time, I have gained a few of my own independently. If somebody doesn't hate you, you're probably doing something wrong. I can't think of anybody like in the magical community that's not hated by somebody. Oh, some of you know, 
I ran across a, a YouTube, uh, or not YouTube, Facebook page once about Robin Williams after he killed himself. And it was like 30,000 people on this page uh, were glad Robin Williams killed himself. You just can't win in this world, especially not in social media. Like, who wanted Robin Williams to die? He's probably like the nicest guy on earth. Yeah, and like I can't Barely imagine anybody. People. Yeah, that's insane. That's insane. There used it's to be a website. Called, there used to be a website called Shit Mankey Says, though I guess it closed because maybe I stopped saying that's shit. Insane. I don't know. But I was always really proud of that. I was like, oh, that sounds oh, like you, a fun. That sounds like a fun one. Um, yeah. Interestingly enough, the very first thing I want to contribute to your show is that most Alexandrians in my universe do not refer to it as Alexandria Wicca. We prefer to say Alexandrian witchcraft. So there's a distinction right there between your lineage and mine. Um, We use the word Wicca. I don't pronounce it that way anymore, but we use it. That's right. I don't want to, I don't like interrupting my guests, but. Can you pronounce? I know how you pronounce it. Can you pronounce it that way for those listening? Well, because it's Proto-Indo-European, we're kind of guessing at the roots and then going into Old English, right? So obviously, no one speaks Old English anymore, so it's a dead language. But there are these brilliant people out there who've given us educated guesses. So in Old English, two C's would would make the ch sound and not the hard K. So it would have been pronounced Witcha, which makes sense because it's Old English to Modern English. So there's a bit of a nuance and accent to it. The other difference is that it was a gendered language when it was Old English, as Modern English is not a gendered language. So there was actually two variations, which is why you have the spelling W-I-C-C-A, W-I-C-C-E. Now, it's quite clear that the original are elders, you know, the uh, pioneers of the modern religion of witchcraft, used this as a way to describe old, an older word for witch, an older sacred word for witch. And it's clear they didn't really know how to pronounce it. You know, um, I think it first came forth because Gerald Gardner obviously was, you know, very f- fond of the idea of being an anthropologist. And, you know, he was a bit of a historian in his own right. So obviously he was aware that there wasn't a root word for witchcraft. And he obviously wanted to promote the idea that witchcraft was much older um, than maybe it is, you know. So I think that now, obviously, because people didn't know how to pronounce it, and there's a bit of confusion between the fact that it's part of the Germanic languages, but it's not German, so if you were to translate that into the German tongue, it would be pronounced Wicca. The other idea there is that Gerald Gardner sometimes spelled it with one C. Now, I've always been of the opinion that Gerald Gardner did not call what he did Wicca. And if you oh. read his books, he only uses the word a minimal amount of times. And even then, he spells it with one C and does not spell it W-I-C-C-A. And if you look at the context in which he uses the word, uh, Wicca just kind of translates as wise one. If you just substitute wise one in for every time that he uses the word Wicca, it makes complete sense. He was a witch. The book was called The Witch Cult in Western Europe. I probably refer to myself more as a witch than a Wiccan, though I still use the word Wiccan. I don't hate it. But there's been a backlash against the word Wiccan, especially over the last... 10 or so years is it just a backlash against the word or is it a backlash against 
all initiatory traditions. Well, see, that's just it, as I think that I think at one point in time, and, and there is a difference between what happens in the UK and what happens in the United States as far as vocabulary. You're aware of this. Absolutely. Um, my, I was acquainted with um, John Payne, who, who told me that, you know, and I haven't seen it myself, so this is coming off of what he said, but in Gardner's original Book of Shadows, when the word spelled, it was spelled with two C's. My theory is along the lines that he occasionally misspelled it because there's no historic evidence of a one C spelling in Old English. There's no W-I-C-A in Old English. There is in German, yes, but not in Old English. So who knows? Could have been a German cult in the New Forest. We don't really know, do we? So we, that's neither here nor there. Both witchcraft and the word Wicca, which are, you know, it's an Old English or a Modern English way of saying the same thing, have both become umbrella terms for things that have nothing in common with what we do or very little in common with what we do. For a long time in the 90s, and I know you know all of this, um, people who were considered themselves pagan would almost always also say they were Wiccan. It was, almost like the, it was almost like just another word of saying the same thing. So there was this huge genre and time period where people who were pagan all identified as being Wiccan. Didn't necessarily mean they identified with being a witch. It didn't necessarily mean they identified with being an initiate. In the UK, it usually is reserved for initiates. That's at least my understanding. It is. They're, they are used very differently. And how people interact among traditions is also very different in the UK. There, Gardnerians and Alexandrians happily circle together without it being much oh, yeah. of an issue. In the United States, it's a big, big deal when such a thing happens. And that was actually something that I was taught that Alex did, is that he was always very open um, in his circles. So if Gardenarians were interested in circling, they were welcomed. And it's a, it's a practice that we keep, and most Alexandrians I work with keep today. Obviously, if they begin to make comparisons or begin to become rude, you know, the invitation ends. But if they what? want to come in and worship with us, we don't have a problem because Alex wouldn't even reinitiate Gardenarians. Why? Because in Alex's day, there was no such thing as Alexandrians and Gardenarians. It was all the religion of witchcraft. And that was true of most of the elders originally, or the people. Sometimes I hate calling them elders. Can we call them pioneers? <laughs> so if Ari and I were to sit in in your coven and go, oh, doing it wrong, doing it wrong, we would be asked to leave. No, I just wouldn't invite you again. <laughs> you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do I wouldn't that anyway. The only way to ever ask someone to leave the circle is, first of all, it's not anything an initiate would do. Um, no. Anything. You know, um, I have had guests come in who've been a, a bit unintentionally rude because we actually get a lot of guests in the New Orleans Covenant. They're not doing it on purpose ever, you know, but it's, oh, we used to do this or we used to do that. And, you know, we're sitting there going, we didn't ask you. Um, but, <laughs> you know, that happens. Um, and, it, and I think it comes from insecurity. You know, um, our coven here in New Orleans um, practices from the temple of the mother line. So it is going to be distinct from other lines, just like you come from the Long Island line. It's going to be distinct from other lines. And as you know, every coven is a little different. That is one of the things I tried to highlight in my book. And I don't know if it read right for everyone, but one of my biggest revelations becoming an initiate in the lines that I entered into was that this is way more complicated than the general public realizes. 
you know, that it's not like oh, you, you go on Wikipedia or you go on, you go on. Yeah. Anywhere it's like when you enter a tradition, you. Gardnerians of this. Repeating ideas, lines that don't, dis, that don't necessarily agree. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. We don't. <laughs> I think we've got more in common than we do. I think we truly do have way more in common than we do um, differences. However, one of the big uh, differences between Alexandrian witchcraft and Gardnerian witchcraft is, to, in my mind, philosophical only. It's not really so much the practice as it is philosophy on how to interpret uh, some of our ways. But it's an ongoing learning process because I have to tell you, when I first met your lovely wife, Ari, you know, and you, and we were doing that pub crawl for Hexfest, the conversations kept coming up. And everything Ari said sounded like it was coming from an Alexandrian, <laughs> from my periphery. I was like, literally like, Maxine, is that you? Maxine, did you possess this woman? Um, I, I, don't know what Ar- very much- I don't know what Ari's going to say when I tell her that, but it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think I told her maybe. Uh, but, yes, yeah, she, she, was, she was very much in line with my training and my way of thinking on a lot of issues, and I was surprised by that. And it was just another reminder um, of the fact that, there, you know, that we can't always assume. So, for instance, in my book, initiation to witchcraft, plugging myself. Um, I, I did address a bunch of lineages, but there are more. There are more lineages that's in my book, and there are a lot of details missing, and there are a lot of things I don't know, because unless you've entered into that circle and that training, you wouldn't know. Most of what I put in there is either a public record or experiential on my part. Well, I mean, uh, a, lot of, a lot of the differences amongst lines used to be extremely public, it would play out in the letters pages of the Green Egg Magazine. AOL. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, back in the day. Now it, it feels like there are some walls up around things. You know, like a Gardnerian community is in this wall, which just kind of Gardnerians talking. But it all kind of Not splits as much out. of a wall as they think it is, because here's the problem. They put it all on Facebook. And yeah. in the world of Facebook, somebody's screenshotting something to somebody, and it goes to somebody else. You know, and we don't know where the oath breaking comes in or if it does, but it floats along the, the ethers, trust me. You know, I've been given information about things from non gardenarians you know, uh, on both counts, on Alexandrians and Gardenarians, because they both have done it. And I always say keep this in mind. Anyone who works on any kind of high level can see anything you write in those groups. For sure. So if, it, if it's secret, it probably shouldn't go on Facebook. You know, anywhere. Uh, just, just a thought. Um, so so before private websites too. Yeah, and those are the those are the better options. So for someone, are you drinking who, whiskey? I am drinking whiskey, of course. I'm drinking bourbon tonight. Bourbon from Oregon, Burnside brand, which has been oaked, put it in a barrel made from Oregon oak, which has its own unique flavor characteristics. I'm guessing you're drinking gin. Or wine? No, I, I don't drink gin. Uh, the only thing I drink really is wine. If I'm if I'm on like a tropical retreat, then I might have like something with rum in it or a pina colada or something like that during the day. But I'm pretty much a wine drinker. I don't think I could have – the thought of drinking whiskey makes me shudder. My father used to drink it 
So I'm not as gardenarian as you are. Okay. I'm, I'm not sure it's a gardenarian thing, but it is a Jason and Ari thing, that's for sure. So I, I want to talk. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I want to talk a little bit about what the Alexandrian tradition is and how it came to be. Because, I mean, I think there are a lot of witches who are younger who really aren't exposed to traditions very often or they hear these words and they kind of just kind of gloss over it. So what what is the appeal of being an Alexandrian witch? Where does that come from? Well, interestingly enough, I suppose for myself, you know, um, I first started getting into you know, I first became the baby witch who didn't curse the moon uh, when I was like 13 years old or something like that. You know, I had a friend whose mother was um, was a Dianic lesbian, you know, um, and she had books around her house. And so him and I would read them. And that's probably when I first got interested in, in magic. And it just sort of grew from there. I started entering into the idea of religious witchcraft after reading Raymond Buckland's complete book of witchcraft when I was about 15. Um all the books I was reading at that time were, you know, they were all along the lines of what we're doing on some level. There wasn't some sort of other thing really going on that was being written about. And so I was like hook, line, and sinker. You know, um, Buckland's Big Blue, um, which I know some people are tired of, but it's still like the bestseller and there's a reason for it. It's like, you know, I'm one of the, me and Christian are one of the biggest occult booksellers um, in the country as far as outside of big box stores that aren't doing that well anymore. And his book still remains number one. Mine was the second book in our company last year, but his beat me. I'm like, damn you, uncle Bucky, you know, in my own stores. <laughs> um, so, so he, I never got to meet the man. Unfortunately, Christian did. We corresponded very brief, briefly um, in emails, the three of us, but that was about it. Um, it's, you know, I think it's because it carries the spirit of witchcraft in it. Not so much it's a good book. The rituals are horrible. You know, they really are. Yes, they um, are. But I was exposed to, obviously, the Ferrars, and there was a um, store I used to go to, and I swear that used bookstore is responsible for a lot of me because I found a lot of books that were not in print at that time, including uh, What Witches Do, uh, King of the Witches, uh, mastering witchcraft. I've still got my old used copies, all Sybil Week stuff. Um, they weren't really being sold in the New Age shop in our town at the time because they weren't in print. So I ended up finding them. And I was just in love with. I was in love with the Alexandrians. Now, to me, I had no concept even then of what really a Gardnerian or Alexandrian was. This was witchcraft, and witchcraft they were doing in those pictures looked awfully cool. But in fact, actually, I originally wanted to be Gardnerian, and it's a long, winding road that led me to become a becoming Alexandrian. Um, but I suppose it was the imagery that it was something occult, something mysterious. These people looked serious. You know, there was obviously something going on and it, it was conveyed. And, you know, to this day, I see a lot of Gardnerians uh, using Alexandrian pictures to promote the idea of witchcraft because we know all the best angles. Um, well, there was, for those of you who are who don't like really look at a lot of pictures or know where they come from, the best pictures of the craft are from the late 60s, early 70s, and they feature Alex oh, yeah. and Maxine Sanders and people mm -hmm. in their coven, often naked, though Alex never is naked. <laughs> usually, it's always Maxine at the Not time. Usually, he did, he did a couple times go nude, yes. He did a yeah. few times, but sometimes he did not, yeah. 
Yeah, but they're they're beautiful pictures, and it it brings up a kind of another question. I know I've interrupted you because I asked you one no. of those questions that takes twenty minutes to answer, but you know, there's always talk that witchcraft is a nature religion. And when I see those pictures, I see a mystery religion. And that's all that I see, yeah. a mystery religion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you go to some pictures, you see the nature religion. When you go to when they were working on Alderley Edge or the outside rituals, um, Legend of the Witches, when they are literally like climbing over rocks and in caves, and they're at the ocean. You definitely see the nature religion coming through there. And in the early days, the early days of Alex's working, you know, he was calling himself Alexandrian, and much of what we do today wasn't even developed yet. He was practicing essentially, well, he was practicing as a gardenarian. And, you know, there's a lot of mystery surrounding the origins of both Gerald Gardner and Alexander's, um, as, as well as witchcraft, you know, our whole religion. There's a lot of mysteries uh, growing out of it. And I hate to make a pronouncement. Because as you know, there are rumors of things. There are things that you might know on the inside or stories you're told that aren't yours to tell. But I believe um, with almost a certainty that Alex worked with at least one Gardnerian priestess, if not more than one Gardnerian priestess in the course of his witchcraft. But they didn't call it Gardnerian witchcraft then. They called it witchcraft. And so he, he never considered himself Gardnerian. He wouldn't have. He wasn't ever involved in a group that was calling themselves Gardnerian at that time. We have to remember that these labels didn't start really emerging till the mid-60s, you know, to where it became very popular and going forward even more so now. So there was no competition. You know, yeah, we had Sybil Weeks. And if you've read some of her books, she even publishes our tools. You know, we had Robert Cochran who obviously, you know, had access to the same books that everyone else did, and he was going off the same sort of model. You know, there's a god, there's a goddess, he's got horns, you know, we work in a coven, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the festival from my family. Uh, We had all of these things going on, but really there was little to zero computation. And it really came about in the fact that the the early Gardnerian pioneers were all media witches. You know, they were all doing newspaper, television articles, radio shows. They were the voice of witchcraft. And at some point in time, that started to wane. And I think that, I think you and Thor and Mooney are the only two people right now doing it in the gardening tradition, to my knowledge, openly. There um, are more, but some of them are not as open. There's Deborah Lip, But yeah, yes, I but mean, I don't know if she's doing anything current, you know. She's got uh, a new book. She's got a new book coming out oh, like in a week or two. Yeah. But but I think we're the three who are probably the loudest, though I know that there are others. And they're all and you're all Americans. You know. Uh likewise, you know, I'm the only well, uh there are some other Alexandrians. I think Kerrigan's publishing a book in Brazil, but I don't think it's American. And I think Maxine's working on a new book. Uh, I don't know, you know, where that's at. But, you know, yes, there's very few initiates who are writing books right now. And for a while, that became the main medium of the craft. You know, it was the only medium. Anyone who wrote a book had to be an expert. And that sort of is where the problem (laughs) began to arise, you know, is the truth is anyone could write a book. You know, hell, I was able to manage it. You know, Um, I'm proud of my book because I'm not a writer. And I, you know, I'm not a writer. I didn't go to school for writing. I didn't ever, you know, it's not my goal to be a writer. I've got the bug a little bit now, 
So I am working on another book, but I'm not in any rush. And I have an idea for another one. But my experience in writing this book is that the, it takes you over. The project at some point takes you over, and it's almost like you don't know where it's going to go. Um, I had an idea, and that idea morphed and became what it is. So I, I get it. You know, I commend you for being able to write so many books. Um, but that became the voice. Nowadays, it's a bit different because now we've got these other mediums. You know, you can just be on Instagram and take pretty pictures of yourself and have tons of followers, and they think you represent witchcraft. You're not telling them anything, you know. But, but it is a medium that we have now that we didn't before. Uh, likewise, we have YouTube and we have social media. I think my first influence came out in Facebook. I think that's where I first had a voice in the magical communities. It um, wasn't an intent on doing that it's just sort of how it happened so yeah it's become a different game now but i think also i think it's really good that the magical communities i think are expecting more out of authors right now not just saying they're expecting more quality in their books i think that is there because i think there's a depth coming up that we haven't seen for quite some time but i also think they're expecting more contribution they want a voice behind the book I don't know if you feel the same way. I I feel like that's always been a part of witchcraft books. If you look at writers, at least from, let's say, 1979 going forward, that would be Margot Adler and Starhawk. They were also very public figures. They went to festivals. <clears throat> they taught workshops and classes. Hell, Margot oh, Adler, you Starhawk can hear. Starhawk was a horrible speaker. Very you could, you could hear Margot Adler on NPR you know, with some frequency, but they weren't hidden people. I mean, they were people that you could meet given the right time yeah. and circumstances. So I feel like for a long time, witchcraft authors generally felt available. However, I think that's kind of starting to change in the era of a dollar ninety nine Kindle books written by quote Lisa Buckland, who's not a real person, <laughs> or Lisa yeah. Chamberlain, who's a best selling author only on Amazon because of $1.99 books, but lacks any sort of social media presence and doesn't well, really seem to do public YouTube. events. We've got these people who are talking about witchcraft, and it's some young person. Obviously, I've got no issue with young people. I'm not saying young people can't be brilliant, but, you know, you listen to it for a few minutes, and you're like, yeah, you're all right, but you shouldn't have 60,000 people. You know, and then I think, well, am I just jealous because this person's able to get 60,000 people? I don't know if I'd want 60,000 people. It'd just be more haters then. But, um, <laughs> yes, it's a whole new world, and we're navigating uh, on that world. You know, and I'm learning to do it, too, because really, in all truth, you know, I sort of fell into this whole thing in that sense. I didn't fall into the priesthood. I didn't fall into witchcraft as a religion, but being a public witch was like something that I sort of fell into. And at first you it broke was up like, a little. You broke up a little bit, a so we missed some of that. Clear now. Yes, you're clear we have now. Storms in New Orleans, so I need to be careful not to move around too much because that <laughs> could be a problem. But they're not picking up right now, so but it could happen. Apologize if it does. Um, I fell into being a public witch. It wasn't like I set out and said, oh, you know, I mean, here I am writing a book um, years after being sort of a bit in the spotlight anyway. And it was 
my main reason for writing Initiation of Witchcraft was because I had a burning desire to, to contribute to the message that was getting out, because I think it is important that initiates are putting the message out still. I think that it's highly, you know, I think that, oh, back to your question. I think we both got sidetracked. Um, at some point, Alexanders picked up the ball, and I think the Alexandrians kept it for quite a while. And then when he went out of the picture, the Ferrars picked up the ball, you know, and so it's been sort of this thing again, you know, and I encourage more Gardenarians pick up the ball you know i love gardenarians i think they're almost as good as we are i'm getting you back to the beginning um, no 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 actually this... i have lots of friends that are actually gardenarian people don't know that and i do have upline that's gardenarian it's just not how i practice when i was last in london i was talking to geraldine beskin who runs the the atlantis bookstore right next to the yeah. british museum uh, yeah, fabulous love place her. love her uh, I love her daughter, Bally. I love going to the store. I love the history. It's kind of like going to a witchcraft museum. And at the first time I ever went there, she's like, you know, we've never changed the door handle. So when you open that door, you're touching the door they handle that touch that Gerald and Crowley and Dion Fortune and Alex and Maxine, all everybody touched, you know, I'm like slathering my hand all over it. But she said to me, she goes, she said, I think that the craft might have died in the UK without the emergence of Alexanders. And that's not something that you hear often in the United States, but he was that big of a figure for several years in the UK. And one of the things about his popularity at the time, he was really open to initiating people and bringing them into the craft. It, kind of reminds me of Gerald to some degree. I want to bring in as many people as I can and see what sticks. Well, Alex's philosophy, uh, which I don't entirely agree with, was uh, who am I to deny initiation? So it was very easy to get first degree initiation from Alexander's or the groups that he was running. So that was easy. What most people don't know is that the second and third was not easy. He did not hand that out freely, and actually there were very few people that got it. Uh, one of the differences between UK, Alexandrian witchcraft, and some other versions of the craft is that we do the second and the third rite together. So there's no dividing up of those two. So you're a student or you're a teacher, you know, essentially, you know, you're mm -hmm. either leading or you're not. So it's very extreme. The time frame is about the same. So whereas you might have a you know different way of doing it in some sects of the craft, the time frame works out to be about the same. Um, and there's reasons for it. And of course, I've got my own theories. I'm very careful when I talk about Alexander Craft not too far down the rabbit hole of my own theories. <laughs> but you know, there there is some evidence that you know at one point in time the second degree was considered the initiation proper. And I think Alex was very much keen on that idea. So, yes, he, he did hand out the first degree very easily. And, in fact, a very wide net was cast. There were a lot of celebrities that were initiated first degree Alexandrian. Most of them are still secret initiates, some, unfortunately, not so much. But it was just something that was going on at the time. And Alex and Maxine had, you know, had become swept up in this movement which, of course, 
earned them the ire of some other witches. So, yes, I do think he was very influential, and I think that his his contribution, I think his biggest contribution to the craft was Maxine Sanders. <laughs> I think that was his <laughs> biggest contribution to the craft. I think outside of that, it was the training. I think early on, training in the craft was really hands on the job. Let's do you ever out, let's do it? Go ahead. Do you ever feel as if she is overlooked? I mean, the tradition doesn't have their last name. It has his first name attached to it. Do you think that a lot of people overlook Maxine's influence? I don't think anymore. Um, And, you know, something that's been said in my line is that I do think that I'm, well, I do think I'm more of a product of Maxine than I am Alex, because we trace through the Temple of the Mother and we practice the Temple of the Mother way of working, which was the coven, when they split up, she remained in London. And so some of the coven went with him to Bexhill by the sea, and she remained in charge of what was left in the London coven. There's all these rumors that she left the craft or she became Catholic and all this sort of thing. That's all untrue. She never stopped working. She just sometimes stopped leaving a coven. At this point, they picked up and started anew. And after a period of time, they changed the name from the London Coven to the Temple of the Mother, and they began developing new ways of working, not removing the old ways of working, but they started developing new techniques. So those new techniques and the things that were practiced in the Temple of the Mother are something that we use within the New Orleans Coven, so that's why that's our lineage. Obviously, we still trace back to Alex. But without Maxine, at this point, Maxine was working independently without Alex, you know, and people don't realize, a lot of people don't realize she ran a coven for many, many years without Alex being in the picture. And she says to this day, it's the most powerful coven she's ever been a part of. And a they lot weren't of together really for as long as maybe some people think. No, I think it was like three, three or more years. I don't want to quote that wrong because I'm not really good at that sort of thing. Um, but it wasn't that long. It was long enough for the magic to have its way. <laughs> it was long um, enough for what to have happened that needed to have happened, you know. Yes. Right. Yes. Two beautiful children and a legacy that we're still talking about to this day. Um, you know, it's a, it's a very important part of witchcraft. I mean, I personally do consider Alexandrian witchcraft to be the same uh, – branch of priesthood is Gardnerian, but it is a heretical sect in some ways, you know, because there are certain ways that we've moved away from things that some Gardnerians would never move away from, you know, but I also want to make a distinction that there's not one note Alexandrian and there's not one note Gardnerian, especially in the United States, because here's the thing we have to face up as American witches. Anyone who's from a line that had pioneers from America had bad training. It's just logistically the way it was. And let me tell you why. Not you necessarily, Jason, but our lovely listeners. They were all remarkable people. We can use Raymond Buckland as the first example, but it wasn't just Raymond Buckland. You know, there were Gardinarians and Alexandrians who did the same thing as Raymond Buckland, and they didn't have a choice. We're glad they did it. Like, it's, this, isn't a, this isn't a read. It is back then, they didn't have the internet. A, they couldn't Skype. It wasn't uh, practical to make long-distance phone calls for hours and hours and hours back then. So all they had is travel and letters. 
So if you had the money and the means to travel for whatever period of time, that was basically what you were going to do. So in almost every case from, you know, the Jim Baker line to the Raymond Buckland to the Kentish line, all the other American lines that there are, it was somebody going over for initiation. Usually they were getting zipped up. I believe Raymond Buckland's was the course of 12 days or something like that. Once again, I'm not good at that sort of thing. Um, intense training, getting his initiations real quick, being given the book, and then sent on his merry way to feed a religion in the country where it didn't exist. You know, So all of the right. American lines started developing their own ways of working. And as, as generations passed, they kept developing their own ways of working. And now we're in a place where we've got this massive bridge of communication with the UK. So some initiates are re-plugging into the European Haiti. And some initiates are choosing to say, you know, we've done it this way for this long. and We're going to keep doing it that way. I'm not knocking either way, you know. But there is a great distinction between how these different lines operate. And there's great distinction between the American initiates early on. And that goes for Alexandrians, too. Every Alexandrian line that started out early is a bit messed up. And actually, half of them followed the Long Island line in, the, in their way of working, you know, because it was the, the only initiates they were being exposed to, because most people won't realize this, but the Long Island line definitely is the, probably, or was, the most dominant initiatory line in this country at one point in time, and rightfully so. It comes from Raymond Buckland. He was the first person to bring it here. Gardnerian craft came here before Alexandrian craft. So, you know, there you go. Um, but yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot, you know, we're in a place now where hopefully more and more people are reaching out, making their own decisions about how things are and how things were, but the choice is yours. I do think people should be dedicated to their lines. You know, I, I do. Uh, if you're going to stay in it, be dedicated to it. Sorry, I'm being long-winded. No, that. it's fine. You know, I knew this show was going to be easy with you as a guest. <laughs> I can I can just sit back so and let you talk. It's all good. That's, Make that's it hard on me, Jason. Come on, give me some hard questions. Um, I no, but I was... a, a show with a muggle on, on Sunday, and I think that's going to be the most interesting because he's going to ask me all kinds of weird things because he doesn't know anything about witchcraft. Um, I was going to say, um, though, that isn't it, isn't it very American to want to put your own spin on things instead of like going and being trained for three years or whatever. It seems very American. Like I want this shit now. And then I'm going I to like kind American of and generational, but I think it's American and generational, but I don't think it's good craft. You know, um, my very first witchcraft uh, line that I was initiated into was not Gardnerian or Alexandrian. In fact, I think it was a bit made up. You know, and I, I, we did for a while think they might have been Gardenarians, but honestly, I think that they were getting it from Lady Sheba and things like that. Um, it had a line, and the people in it were practicing religious witchcraft, and they were going off of, you know, the same sort of system. And they were dedicated, and they had initiates within that line that were dedicated, so it started building up its own power. I do absolutely believe there is something behind, let me use the, the charge of the goddess as an example. You all probably know what that means if you're into witchcraft. You know what the charge of the goddess means. Whether you're Alexandrian or Gardnerian or not, that's power. And the charge of the goddess actually comes from Charles Leland, uh, which is why I know that that 
book also has power because here we are able to say it, talk about it. It's lived on. It's reincarnated. So I think it's okay to put your own spin on things. And I think that the British did it too. Look at the lovely contributions of Doreen Vuente's poetry or Patricia Crowther's Coven's poetry or the contributions of Alex and Maxine Sanders that they added on to all of this stuff. There's been loads of initiations. I know your Book of Shadows. You have to know how much contribution there has been, including how much folklore we actually have. You know, so it's definitely uh, something that's been going on the whole time. I think Americans are more egotistical about it. I think British people are inherently not taught to be egotistical. doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Obviously, King of the Witches, right? Um, right. But, you know, there is that, you know, and that goes on too. You know, uh, in, <laughs> in early Britain, you know, uh, aside from Monique Wilson, nobody ever claimed to be a witch queen publicly. I mean, Maxine kind of did, you know, in a book. Um, but Alex did. He claimed to be king. You know, he went right above the matriarchy and was like, I'm king of witches. You know, so it has happened. It does happen. But I think inherently, yes, we're raised to be like, you can be president, you can be an astronaut, you can be all these wonderful things. I will tell you, in my training, I add very little. can actually name two things. One is a small little meditation, and the other is something that I do on initiations. It doesn't have anything to do with the initiation. It's just a gesture. Uh, it's not even in the circle. So that's it. I do everything else by the letter. Now, in my personal magic and craft, oh, the bounds are endless. <laughs> you know, and so, that's, that's one of the things that's wonderful about being a magical person is you don't have to just do everything you do in your coven, do you? No, I, I think like your coven work is just one facet of what you do. It's not everything yeah. that you do. Just yeah. being an Alexandrian or Gardnerian doesn't mean you only do Alexandrian or Gardnerian shit. So you were talking about being initiated into a coven that thought it was Gardnerian, wasn't probably Gardnerian. Well, not everyone did. I mean, I think that there was people who thought it was because there was, you know, and I could go more and the problem is going into it. They had certain details that still make me curious. Like, how did they know that? They had certain details that are like sort of unpublished stuff. But I do know that the matriarchal priestess in that line did know Raymond Buckland. You know, there were photographs of them working together and they knew each other from the festival. Well, I eventually, just not that long ago, actually finally had a conversation with this mysterious woman. And based on the things that she said to me, I don't believe a goddamn word she's saying. Oh, it's not funny. <laughs> Uh, but you have to understand, this was, you know, this was baby witch Brian. Uh, now, my teacher in that lineage was amazing. She is still one of my favorite people today. And I believe at that time that I was on the path of initiation, I believe she is on the path of initiation. I believe that everyone who was sincere was on the path of initiation. It just didn't have the line of succession that we have, you know, whatever that means longer. My, you know? question, um, my question is, like, what, what do you think makes something British traditional witchcraft? Because I think Gardnerians and Alexandrians see themselves as a part of this sort of shared lineage, British traditional witchcraft. Sometimes you hear people say Blue Star is a part of BTW. What makes something British traditional witchcraft? Is it limited to those two, Alexandrian, Gardnerian? Is it bigger than that? Or is it perhaps a style of witchcraft? Like if you 
use the Ferrars as your guidepost? Are you doing BTW? Well, here's the thing, and you know this, because I don't know how long you've been around, but I know you've been around long enough, and I, I listened to your show before this, so I know you actually are more of a history buff than I realized. Um, labels change in the quote-unquote pagan community, magical communities. They change, and they actually change very quickly. What seems to be like, you know, absolute at one moment in time is erased. 10 years later, like this has happened continuous, doesn't see it have any signs of slowing down. I really, uh, when British traditional witchcraft was first brought up as a term, I do believe it was coined by the Ferrars. I do believe that. And it was a way to make a distinction between the witchcraft of America and the witchcraft that was happening in England, which they were talking about Gardner and Alexandrian craft. Later on, people changed this to British traditional Wicca, you know, because especially in this country, because that became the distinction. It's just a distinction that doesn't work because Wicca means a lot of other things too. So like Wicca is just as diverse as a word right now as witch. So neither one of those serve us really in trying to separate the two. You just have to find your own way of doing it. Like my way of operating is I have my personal vocabulary that I believe and that I utilize, but I also examine and make myself aware of other people's vocabulary. And I don't necessarily try to correct them unless it's from a historical perspective, you know, because you'll get those people that are like, well, yeah, it used to mean that, but this is what it means now. And I'm like, well, does it? Does, does it really mean that now just because you've accepted it? Um, that's my way of thinking. You know, Christian made a very good, Christian Day, my evil husband, made a very good example. You know, he's very fond of the word, he's very fond of the word warlock, as we all know. And we were having a discussion about the history of that word, the real history of it. This is a few years ago. The real history versus, you know, the, the modern mythologies surrounding that word. Like, where did it really come from? What is it, you know, why are people hung up on it? You know, nobody gets mad that Oberon's calling himself a wizard, but people get, like, want to kill you for calling you a warlock. You know, like, it's like, what, where is, why is that such an extreme thing? Having this whole conversation, and I think I kind of went that way. Well, this is how it is now. And he made a statement, which I now believe is more true than ever. If a word can change, it can change back. You know, we seem to think we're stagnant. You know, you can educate people. And that's where I'm at. I mean, I'll tell you quite honestly, in Alexandrian witchcraft, they would say Wicca. That's how they would pronounce it. Not how we pronounce it in my coven, because I refuse to teach ignorance. They're aware of that pronunciation. I don't say it that way. I don't say it that way because it's illiterate. And now that I know that it is, I'm not going to choose to jump on another way of saying it just because it's become cosmopolitan or accepted. Likewise, why I don't use the word pagan to describe myself on most occasions. If I was going to give myself words, it would really be occultist, priest, witch. Those would be my favorite words. In certain vehicles, obviously, I've got to use other words. If I was in an interview and they were talking about modern paganism, I'm not going to go on some tirade about how I'm not a pagan. I'm just going to go with the flow because that's not the conversation we're having. Likewise, if somebody, some seeker comes up to me and says, well, I've been pagan for 10 years, I'm not going to be like, I'm not a pagan and walk away. Like, that's not, you know, that's, I'm aware of the vocabulary. The reason I don't describe myself as a pagan is because, A, that word was never used in the Alexandrian tradition. 
B, and I have used it before, and I do use it sometimes, I'm not trying to actually be a part of any pre-Christian culture. Like, I don't view witchcraft through the lens of pre-Christianity completely. Like, it's there. You can see that in my book. I talk a lot about pre-Christian mystery cults. But witchcraft, as a terminology, being modern English or old English, we really don't have a whole lot of proof that it's pre-Christian under that label. And a lot of the egregore we're working with kind of comes from like, you know, well, you know, Margaret Murray and Leland and all these lenses that are about witchcraft existing within Christianity. So I'm not really trying to be like a Celt or an Egyptian or something like that. I might study those things. I might look at their gods, but I'm not like getting up every day and be like, I'm going to go live my Celtic life today. (laughs) You know, I'm an American. It's 2020 and I live in New Orleans. You know, I am mostly British. None of these things make sense altogether if you're trying to be pure, right? So I don't look at witchcraft that way. And third, I've got no interaction with the pagan community. I find, I know you do because you go to festivals and you're a Llewellyn author. You're kind of forced to on some level. Um, (laughs) But I'm not, you know, I'm not going to pagan festivals. It's not that I hate all pagans or anything like that. It's just I'm not going to pagan festivals. And I think it's kind of morphed into being something that has sometimes nothing to do with, like, traditions like Gardnerian and Alexandrian witchcraft. I think early on, some of the initiates thought, oh, the pagans can be our tribe. We're the priesthood. They're the tribe. That's not real. They hate you. You know, 99% of all pagans hate initiates. Sorry. true. Not all of them. Um, but it's just I don't. I don't way. think most people know the kind of the history of why the word pagan kind of bubbled up. But it really came from witches who were starting to operate outer courts in the 1970s, and they called but their. It started out earlier than that. It started out with Doreen Valiente, and they started the Pagan Federation in the UK. She was a part of it, and it was an anti-Alexandrian movement. That's true. But there uh, is, and you can see it in her poetry. Here, there is here. It's a different story. Yeah. I mean, there is that sort of movement in the '70s, though. They called it the Pagan Way materials, and then the Book of Pagan Rituals. You've seen that, like it's attributed to Hermann yeah. Slater, who didn't actually write it. But the idea was that, like, you know, the the paganism was sort of the lay court, and then you know, when you were a witch, you were part of a higher sort of thing. I think but that I, was I, the initial hope. Yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, also we've seen the rebirth of pagan traditions in a way that, yeah. you know, they, I don't think they existed 30 or 40 years ago. Traditions. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, absolutely. And, I, you know, those things have never gone away. I know one of your theories is that um, a lot of the craft lived on magically. And I don't disagree with you in the, in the magical sense, you know, that we do have like a lot, you know, there's a lot that lived on. You know, ritual magic, you know, the stuff the Golden Dawn was doing, the stuff that, you know, weird pokes were doing, you know, this is stuff that, that actually survived, you know. And I think one of the things that people underestimate about Gerald Gardner is I think he was actually brilliant. And he was trying very hard to resurrect an idea, but at the same time, he had a vision for it, you know. Uh, you know, he did say at one time we worshipped in all the greatest temples. That was not referring to rock circles. That was not referring to, to just, you know, at one time we were free and we worshipped the greatest temples. You know, this was 
hearkening to the ancient mysteries and the ancient mystery cults and the big glorious temples the world used to have where we could still have nice things. You know, I know you've been to some of them. It's kind of a letdown. Um, not them. That's Greek don't have them anymore. You're like, why? Why can't we just like rebuild these? Live here now. Um, why did Christmas desecrate my holy place? Because that's what it exactly. feels like. You've been to Greece. It you know, is. You go to, and I really feel you like you go to Necropolis. Like, why did you do this? You go to Eleusis. It's a pile of rocks. Oh, Eleusis is so powerful. I really felt it was one of the most powerful places that I've ever set foot in. Not the only one, but really one of the most powerful. And we all felt that way. You know, it wasn't witchcraft in the sense that we practice it and it wasn't um you know we don't even know that magic was really a thing there but in in the sorceristic sense well actually i'm going to correct myself again because i did this on my show with levi for the same thing the tail end of eleusis actually the cult of isis was very prevalent there and she superseded demeter most people don't know that so yeah probably towards the end there was a bit of sorcery going on there but um, well, I mean, the word yeah, mystery the comes from the mysteries. I mean, everything yeah. really harkens back. I, the whole Eleusis thing is like one of my favorite. Oh, it's a very powerful place. If you haven't been there, setting foot there, I, I think that was the most powerful place I visited in Greece. So um, we've, we've, got eight, we've got eight minutes left. And I got, I got, always have like the giant list of questions to ask people. Uh, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is having presented at HexFest, having like offered up options of things I wanted to present, I was often told, no, Brian won't let you do that because he thinks it's oath bound. So I wanted to ask you, what is oath bound? What is not oath bound? You know, I know gardenarians who think admitting that you light a candle is oath-bound. <laughs> I'm of the opinion that, you know, what we do is not really much of a mystery. How we do it may not necessarily be public knowledge, but, I mean, I draw down the moon. I build a fucking cone of power. I initiate and elevate people, uh, do the great right. I mean, to me, these are not things that I'm scared to talk about. Do I talk about them necessarily in a gardenarian context? No, but I mean, I do them. So what, what is oath bound to you? Well, to me, anything um, that is within the book of shadows, and you can see this reflected in my book by how I put forth magic and rituals, anything that's in the book of shadows, you know, what's oath bound to me is what was in my oath. So when you, chose, when you choose to take an oath, obviously it is to a degree through your lens, and I, and I would assume your teachers have given you their lens. So, and it probably does vary, because most people consider Alexandrians to be way more liberal than Gardnerians and what comes to be oath-bound. And in my defense, if you haven't heard it from me, it's someone making an assumption um, as to what I would think. Now, drawing down the moon to me, uh, how it actually is done and why a non-initiate should be taught that. Yes, absolutely. I think that's both bound. I don't think a non-initiate needs to have anything to do with that. And I don't even, I'm very uh, reticent to speak about it publicly. However, that doesn't mean your class was going against what I believe because I'd have to have a conversation with you, you know, uh, <laughs> the term drawing down the moon obviously is something people know about, but I 
don't think you can know about it unless you've been in a circle where it's really taking place. And yes, I do think that is oath-bound. Absolutely. I think our initiate, I, I think any of the rituals are, I realize now that there's all this, you know, I know some people don't like the term, but I only use it for clarification, neo-Wicca. And the reason I use neo-Wicca is I'm meaning not talking about Alexandrian Carnarian witchcraft, um, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, Non-initiatory witchcraft, maybe that's a better way to say it. But then they sometimes have their own initiations. So it is what it is. But whatever, you know, yes, they've read books. They've read the rituals. They've got up and they started doing it themselves with absolutely no training. That doesn't mean they've ever had the experience. It just doesn't. You know, it'd be no different if I read about, you know, what it's like to do a Catholic Mass, and then I go do the Catholic Mass. Now, I'm not saying they didn't have an experience. I'm not trying to be judgmental. I wasn't in their circle, and what they did in their circle certainly doesn't give them rights and privileges within mine, but my oaths were not to divulge any of the craft to anyone who had not been initiated into a circle like I was. So I am careful about that, but at the same time, as Alexandrians, we're very liberal. We believe that... There are no secrets in Alexandrian crafts, only mysteries. So I can talk about anything. So this is where the, the gray area comes in. For instance, you could talk about it in the class without giving away the secrets. You know, if you were going to show them how we did it or give them ways of doing it, then I think that's oath-breaking. If you're making it a discussion, uh, I don't see, see why it could not be okay. You know, um, I think it's dangerous turf, though. Where do you draw the line? You know, I believe that drawing down the moon is one of our most sacred rituals. So if that's free range, then why not everything else? You know, but that being said, Alex and Maxine used to sometimes open the Book of Shadows in front of non-initiates just to see what they would do. And if they respectfully looked at it, fine. They'd walk away sometimes if they noticed they were jotting something down and they knew that was not a good person, you know. This isn't something everyone would do. Alex obviously pushed the, the gun in what he put out. You know, I don't agree with everything Alex did. I think he was amazingly powerful. I think that he was a messenger of the gods, just like Gerald Gardner. And I think he was necessary in what, his, you know, in what the craft was using him for at the time. And definitely deserved the title King of the Witches and, and the sacrifice that went along with it. You know, don't think we'll ever have another King of the Witches. Not in our lifetimes. No, I hope um, not. And there's a price to pay for it. Well, there's a price to pay for it. You know, you can call it whatever title you want. You know, I don't believe in kings or queens of the witches. I really don't. I believe in high priests and high priestesses. I believe in the ritual titles. You know, whether you call it a magus or a witch king, it's basically the same thing. But if you're talking about real divinity here, what would a King of the Witches be? He would be the divine sacrifice. You know, I don't want that, do you? No, I sometimes already feel like it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, in our own ways, yes. Um, so, my, we're, we're running out of your question, but yeah. No, no, I think that was a reasonable, I think that was a reasonable attempt at an answer. That's that's part of the joy of the show. It's a an conversation. An answer. That was it Jay. goes, that it was goes Jay. where it goes. <laughs> I don't know because, you know, here we're talking about a conversation you had with my husband. It's like he knows that I don't want people doing things that I don't think should be done. 
Um, but that's a conversation you and him had, so I can't really fairly interject, but I could see why he would go there. Um, your Horned God thing, you know, I did, a, I did actually a couple workshops on the Horned God, uh, Lord of Death and Resurrection. They were fabulous, you know. Um, I'm glad you're writing a book about it. I think it's about time we have, a, have one on the subject, um, a new one anyway. Um, you know, there are lots of things we can do. So I'm not saying you couldn't have a class about drawing down the moon, but I think it's dangerous territory because I don't think everyone is prepared or fit to be doing that for reasons that you're well aware of. So that so would be a gray area. But if it was a talk about, you know, witchcraft and the history of it and, you know, the murals in Greece and the mirror of Diana and Naini and, and how we do connect with the divine, I think you could have a lecture on it that would be just fine. I just don't know the nature of it. I did think you if it went into know, ritual, that's where I'd have an issue. Did you not know that I'm a history nerd, though? I mean, you mentioned that kind of earlier. I did not know that you, I did not know you were a history nerd. I did not. Um, so Revelation on the show, I haven't publicly posted this yet, but I'm contracting with Llewellyn to write a book on Ray Buckland, oh. his biography. So that's oh, pretty I thought, exciting. I thought maybe I'd slip the beans on your Horned God thing. I said, I thought you No, no, the Horned God book is, everybody knows that. It'll be out next spring. The <laughs> Ray Buckland book will be out in like four years. It's going to take a long time. I think that's terrific because here's one thing I will say. I, I do, well, I'm going to say something that maybe you can't say, but I'm going to say something. Raymond Buckland is such a pioneer in gardening witchcraft and modern witchcraft. I always find it very strange that he isn't very much honored by the Long Island line. And I believe that has to do with his personal life, sexual affair and divorce from Rosemary. Um, well, but as a priest, I will say for my covenant, we have a shrine to our mighty dead and Ray Buckland is among our mighty dead. And so, yeah, we honor him in our part of the Long Island line. So as we're almost done, uh, you know, we're a little past time, which is great. I don't mind that at all. Maxine Sanders wrote the introduction yeah. to your book. Uh, to me, yeah. yeah, it's not quite like having the voice of God write an introduction to a book, but it's still pretty fucking cool. And, you know, a legend, you know, somebody that I read about in the 90s. Um, to me, they felt well, like they were... You also did a blurb for my book. <laughs> I did, but I didn't write the introduction to your book. And no, also, I'm that. just Jason. Maxine Sanders <laughs> is legendary. Yeah. How did how did it come about that Maxine wrote the introduction to your book? Well, I asked her, and obviously she wanted to read it first. It might help that I'm downline, but you know, uh, I can't really answer that question because no one speaks for Maxine directly. She speaks for herself well enough alone. But she wanted to read it first, so I had to send her a full copy of it, and I nervously awaited her to read it. Because if she wouldn't have liked it, if things would have been off, she would have told me. And, you know, she she did have a couple date corrections early on in the email, very minor ones. Um, but she had a couple direct date corrections and actually gave me the original name of the Manchester Coven, which is in my book. But I can never hardly remember what it's called. It's like Erdenton or something weird like that. Um, it's, I think the road they were on, but she, you know, she did like the book and then she wrote the introduction and I, of course, very honored that she did that. Maxine has been very, um, impactful for my entire walk. You know, when I was first initiated 
um, into initiatory witchcraft, I was not received well by Gardenarians or Alexandrians, particularly not by Gardenarians, because my lineage was dubious, I guess, you know, and, you know, California line, I think things are a bit better now, but that was a bit problematic. And I'm like, but we have the book and all the information playing with fireworks, but okay, you know, so I'm playing with this sort of like weird world I've been thrown into. And the reason why had nothing to do with me. If I wouldn't have been with Christian Day, uh, it wouldn't have been an issue at all, but they were afraid. You know, they were afraid of what that meant, of what power I might wield or what damage I might do, et cetera, et cetera, without getting into politics. So I was really not received well. I was treated very badly. I'd already met Maxine in 2012, long before my initiation. So I, you know, I, I had had an introduction to her already. And when I'd become Alexandrian and everyone was treating me very badly, I thought, oh, what's she going to think? Because if she jumps on me too, then I'm just, I don't know, I just might, you know, I might just die or something, right? So I wrote her an email and I told her what was going on. And I said, you know, I think I'm not being received because I'm with Christian, you know, but this is what I've done. I'm, you know, I'm Alexandrian now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the response I got was, I didn't know an initiate needed to be received by anyone. I certainly wasn't, and I didn't give a jot, you know, and it went on from there. So she really um, has been very supportive of my walk, and she's worked, you know, she's worked with my coven, and she has, you know, my my teacher, Val Hughes, is um, downline from a member of the Temple of the Mother who Maxine very much valued. So that, that lineage is very close to her and, you know, they're, they're good friends as well. So she's really become, you know, she is, she's my witch queen if I had one, you know, Val Hughes is my witch queen if I had one, you know, we don't use that, you know, the way you guys do. Um, well, but, you know, yes, most certainly in the magical sense, yes, they are, you know. So we're out of time. I can't answer why she did it, but she obviously liked the book, and her her forward was was I was very honored by it. I don't know what it means to anyone else, but I can tell you, Maxine wouldn't sign her name to something she didn't like. No, absolutely not. Uh, so the book is called Initiation into Witchcraft. People want to find out more about you online. Uh, where should they go? Well, if you're looking to purchase the book, you can get it from hexwitch.com or omensalem.com. You can obviously get it on Amazon. You can get it from Ingram, New Leaf. I know it was on Barnes and Nobles, and it will be carried by Azure Green if it's not already. I don't think it is yet, but it's going to be on um, Azure Green. It is available, obviously, in paperback or Kindle. And in fact, I'm releasing a hardback version. Um, set to release this August uh, will be a little bit more pricey because it is hardback. It's going to be a beautiful blue and gold with the Alexandrian rose ink on the cover. So if you don't want to look at my um, Bride of Dracula picture, you've got an option. Um, So that's happening. And I'm really standing behind that book. You know, I'm working on another one, but I'm not in any rush. And I want to continue promoting this because my goal as a creator for this content is the long end game. You know, I don't think Gerald Gardner was ever hugely published. You know, I don't think a lot of, of these books that are so important to us were actually like these big publications. 
they stood the test of time because they became cult classics because of their value. And I, I do think that my book will contribute in that sense because I think it does have a unique perspective from the Alexandrian way. You know, as I read Thorn Mooney's book, I thought that we were really kissing cousins because her book was great, but it did have the Long Island touch to it, you know, and mine definitely has the Alexandrian touch to it. You know, they're skewed. Of course they would be, right? For sure. Um, but, so it's nice to have both of those things out there, and they're very different books. Um, in a lot of ways, but at the same time, they're new messages and they're both unique and they aren't just regurgitating information. That's what I like. So, uh, and I'm looking forward to more craft related books um, from you as well, Mr. Mankey. We are in a golden age of witchcraft publishing. Brian, thank you so much for being on the show. You were, you were a great guest. This was like 70 minutes that just blew by. Didn't have to do any work. That's always, that's always the best. Um, thanks to everybody listening out there. Uh, Brian's book is really good. I did blurb it. It's on the back. It is a fine book, especially if you're interested in British traditional witchcraft, um, especially from an Alexandrian perspective. Next week, my guest will be Courtney Weber, author of books on Bridget and the Morrigan and Tarot for One. So I'm very excited to have Courtney join us. Thank you all so much for being here. The whiskey's starting to kick in. That's what happens at the end of the show. The wit is dying. The witches are getting ready to hang up, and we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.